Psalm 139, which very clearly communicates the message of that song. In light of our discussion of Mark chapter 10, I have two pieces of paper here that have been glued together, representing one type of marriage. Here I have another two pieces of paper that are glued together in a little different way. They're not quite as close together. Then here I have a third set of papers that, again, if you look closely, they're even a little further apart. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they posed a question to Jesus. And Jesus takes them back to Genesis 1 and 2. And he said, my design in marriage is that a male and a female are glued together and they become one. He desires intimacy within the bonds of marriage. He desires permanence within the bonds of marriage. So let's read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And as we read the passage and discuss it again this morning, we looked at some of it last Sunday morning. Keep in mind that I'm seeking to explain the text of Scripture in its context and making some applications. I'm not attempting to respond to every modern-day situation that may arise in the context of marriage and divorce and so on, but seeking to understand the text of Scripture in its context and then pointing us back to what God designed in Genesis 1 and 2. And keep in mind also, Mark chapter 10 is in the context of discipleship. Jesus encouraging the 12 and teaching how to follow him. Mark 10 and verse 1. Jesus then left that place, that would be Capernaum, and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. And that would have taken some time to travel, probably some 80 to 100 miles. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together let not man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. As we discuss this passage, please keep in mind that divorce was accepted in the case of adultery since death or stoning was difficult 
for the Jews living under Roman rule. Adultery so violated the intimacy and permanence in marriage and the relationship within the Trinity that stoning or divorce in Jesus' day was to take place. The Pharisees focused on divorce. They come to Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus asked, what did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to divorce or to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Their focus was on divorce, not in what God designed in Genesis 1 and 2. And the question of the Pharisees in light of the text and the culture was about divorce for any and every reason, not divorce for adultery. So they're basically saying, Jesus, can we divorce for any and every reason? And the reason that comes out in the text is they say Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And that was in Deuteronomy 24, and that was for any and every reason. But Jesus brings the Pharisees back to God's design, God's desire, God's will for marriage in verses 5 through 9. God's design is intimacy and permanency. And he says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female and so on. He says, let's not talk about divorce. Let's go back to God's design, what God designed at the beginning. Both the Pharisees and the Twelve would have understood that Jesus was saying marriage is intimate. It's permanent, except for adultery. No exceptions. The Pharisees, I think, would have heard and understood that. This truth is driven home more deeply in verses 11 and 12. Please read verses 11 and 12 in light of what Jesus says in verses 5 through 9. So Jesus has just finished saying to the Pharisees, to the twelve, Here's what God says. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So apparently what has happened, Jesus has shared that with the twelve, with the Pharisees. They end up going into the house. And the disciples asked Jesus about this. Jesus, what about this divorce? What about this one flesh? You know, if there's two, they become one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. They asked Jesus something about that. So he responds to them. And in verses 11 and 12, he says, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. That's all he says. Now, in the context of this passage, what does it mean to divorce? Divorce basically means to release from a tie, to liberate, or to be free from discharging one's duty. Anyone who divorces his wife says to his wife, I let you go, you don't need to be responsible to me anymore, and marries another woman, commits idolatry against his wife. The man who says, or the woman who says in verse 12, I let you go, I liberate you, you're no longer responsible to me. Divorce would be the letting go, the breaking of the bond, the bare breaking of the responsibility to one's mate. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. What is adultery in the context? So if I, as a husband, were to divorce my wife for any and any, any and every reason, she didn't prepare the meal right, as we discussed last week, or I saw some woman that I thought was more beautiful than her, and I say to Ruthann, I'm divorcing you, and I marry another woman, he says, I have committed adultery against her. because the divorce did not take place because of idolatry. And he says the same is true. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits idolatry. So he's explaining to the twelve this divorce for any and every reason, and then marrying another results in one being guilty of Adultery. Does the guilt of adultery come with remarriage? Apparently, yes, in light of the text of Scripture. Who is committing the adultery in the context? If a man divorces his wife for any and every reason and remarries, he's committing adultery. If a woman divorces her husband for any and every reason and marries another, he says he's committing adultery. That's where Jesus is coming from in light of the text. And remember, again, the text of Scripture that we tried to make very clear last week. The issue of divorce or adultery is not in play in Mark 10. It's the divorce for any and every reason. That is in the picture in Mark 10, coming from Deuteronomy 24. So in Mark 10... We'll skip those couple things there. In Mark 10, the Lord designed marriage for intimacy and permanency. I think that's where Jesus is coming from. He's saying to the Pharisees, your focus is on divorce, but I want you to go back to God's design. It was intimacy and permanency. And that comes out in Genesis 1 and 2, as implied in verses 5 through 9. Therefore, verses 10 through 12 drive home this fact by clearly stating there is no divorce other than adultery. The one who divorces for any and every reason and remarries is guilty of adultery. Jesus takes him back to 
marriage, to intimacy, to permanency. Rather than a focus on divorce. Remember the question raised by the twelve. I'm sorry, by the Pharisees involved divorce for any and every reason. Jesus responds, God desires permanence. God desires intimacy. See, God wants this oneness, this intimacy where two are one. Why? Because marriage, male and female, are to picture the image of God so that there is that oneness. No. They're not to be separated. He says, I want this intimacy. I want this permanence. And I would challenge us to stop and think. When we talk about intimacy, many people think physical intimacy or sexual intimacy. That is part of intimacy. But how about intimacy of soul? Intimacy of goal. Intimacy of pleasure. Intimacy of burden. So someone says to Ruth Ann, what are Dan's burdens? And she says, that's no problem. I know them very well because we're developing intimacy. And someone says, Dan, what are Ruth Ann's joys? That's no problem. I know them very well because we've been developing intimacy. We share our lives with one another. And that was, that's where Jesus is coming from. I designed marriage, or marriage was designed, male and female, to be together. Intimacy, permanency. And the Pharisees are saying, well, what about divorce? And Jesus says, come on, we've got to get back to God's original design. He's not denying that divorce takes place. He's not denying that there are struggles, but he says, come back to God's design. How did the 12 hear Mark 10 through 12? This would be my understanding. They would have heard Jesus saying, marriage is to picture the image of God with intimacy and permanence. Any divorce for any and every reason, I said for any and every reason, breaks, hinders, destroys the intimacy and the permanence of God's image as designed in Genesis 1 and 2. There is no acceptable reason for divorce. You would be saying these any and every reason. He's saying they're not acceptable reasons. If divorce is present, it is due to a hard heart. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the 12, and then the 12 ask him about this. And he says some very strong things. He's appealing to what happened at creation. I think that's the way the 12 would have heard it. That's how they would have understood Jesus. Divorce in the context of this passage communicates the intimacy and the permanence within the Trinity. You know, that it can't be broken. Remember, God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in 
our image, who is man, the male and female, he put them together in marriage. And they're to picture that intimacy, that permanence. And then in Deuteronomy 24, as we mentioned last week, we know divorce came among the Jews. For any and every reason, they're hard hearts. They just divorced for any and every reason. But he gave Deuteronomy 24 to protect, not to promote divorce. It was trying to control hard hearts. But his design was, he says, I still appeal to what I said at the beginning. And in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 19, we won't turn there, but we find that the disciples responded with, you know, Jesus, then it's better that uh, we don't even get married. But their mindset, again, was divorce for any and every reason. But what is the point of Mark 10, 1 through 12? Discipleship or following Christ involves affirmation that creation determines God's will for marriage, that is intimacy and permanence. The focus is to be on marriage, not reasons for divorce. Anything less is due to a hard heart. That's where Jesus would be coming from. Following Christ involves moving from a divorce mindset to a marriage mindset. So the question is not, how far apart can we live but yet be married? The question is, how can we develop a greater and greater intimacy and oneness? See, we frame the question differently, and it makes a big, big difference in the outcome. So Ruth Ann and I have endured 42 years of marriage. Some of you picked up on the word I used there. I could tell by your response. If I say to someone that Ruth Ann and I endured 42 years of marriage, that's different than if I say to someone, Ruth Ann and I are seeking to display intimacy and permanence in our marriage, according to its design in Genesis 1 and 2. See, God's design is intimacy and permanence. I think one of the neatest things in life is to meet an older couple who've been married for 50 or 60 or 70 years. They almost look like each other sometimes, but they think alike. So you ask her a question and he rambles on for an hour. And then it gets done and she says, honey, you were right on target. You know me. So someone asks, him a question, and she rambles on for two hours. And she gets done, and he says, Honey, you were right on target. You know me. That's intimacy. That's God's design. We're not merely talking a physical or sexual intimacy. We're talking a pattern of life. And he appeals to that, and he takes them back to God's design at the beginning. So wherever the disciples were, I think they heard Jesus say, 
I desire intimacy, I desire permanence because that's what I desired in creation. And I think Jesus is saying to us today, wherever you are in your marriage, whatever may have happened in your past, whether you're divorced and remarried or you're divorced and you're single, or you married and you've only been married once, pursue permanence, intimacy within your marriage. Jesus is not answering every question under the sun about divorce and remarriage. He's answering the Pharisees' question Is it okay to divorce for any and every reason? And Jesus' answer is, God designed marriage at the beginning to be permanent, to be intimate. He doesn't go beyond that. That's what he answers. Will you say, how about all the questions I might have in divorce and remarriage? Jot them down in a question. Maybe I'll respond to them sometime in the future. But the text is not answering everything that we may face today. He's answering the twelve's question. I'm sorry, the Pharisee's question of is divorce permitted and in light of the context for any and every reason? So let's think about an application. Does the body of Christ today have a divorce or marriage mindset? A divorce mindset would be I don't believe in divorce, so I will remain married. A marriage mindset would be God calls us to intimacy and permanence in marriage since we picture the relationship within the Trinity. So someone comes up, Pastor, how long have you been married? Ah, we survived 42 years. If God didn't tell me that I would not to divorce, I would divorce tomorrow. But I'm hanging in there. That stands in marked contrast to say, Pastor, how long have been married? We've had the privilege for 42 years to move towards picturing the relationship between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's been a blessing, but boy, we've had some tough times. And there have been times I've been like, felt like telling Ruth Ann to bug off, and there have been times she's wanted to do the same. It's not always been easy, but we're pursuing intimacy. We're pursuing permanence. A divorce mindset would be pursue divorce for any and every reason. You know, my rights, my desires. A marriage mindset would be pursue marriage by confronting those who pursue divorce. Confronting. Can we help you maintain your marriage? Not shooting at them, not tearing them down, but seeking to help to restore Divorce mindset, adultery is acceptable. Let me alone. A marriage mindset would be adultery. Violates marriage picturing, the relationship within the Trinity. Therefore, it must be disciplined. Again, adultery is where someone within the bonds of marriage chooses to be involved with a woman or a man outside of their mate. A marriage mindset would say, no, that needs to be addressed. Please understand that the three items under divorce mindset fall into the same category. They would be, divis- they would be disobedience. 
Believers are not called to avoid divorce. They are called to picture the image of God in Christ and the church with intimacy and permanence in their marriage. God's desire would be for people to see a female and a male glued together and say, I don't understand it. They've been married for five years. We've been married for 30. And they have a relationship that is much, much different than ours. What is it? They seem to have an intimacy that we don't have. What is it? The door is open. We know God. We have a relationship with God. We're seeking to picture that in our relationship. So I would pose a question. Do you have a divorce mindset or a marriage mindset? Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young or whether you're older, do you have a divorce mindset or a marriage mindset? Whatever your take or interpretation on Mark 10, 1 through 12, we should, great, we should apply great effort in laying marriage, a great effort to having marriages which are moving more and more towards God's design. And I realize some people may say, well, pastor, I have a little different take on Mark 10 than you do. But whatever the take may be, I think it's very, very clear that God designs Design, rather, intimacy and permanence. Move towards that wherever you are in life. Been married once, been married twice, or whatever. But pursue that intimacy, that permanence. That's God's design. I think maybe we need to make some shifts in that we teach children from little up concerning marriage. You take your five-year-old and say, you know, God's design for marriage is for mommy and daddy to be intimate. We're to be close in all areas of life. And if you ever get married, you want to pursue someone that wants intimacy with you because that's God's design. You say, a five-year-old don't understand that. Whatever five-year-old language is, answer them. And then when they get 16, they might ask in a different way, and you answer in a different way. But don't wait until they're 16, that's my point, or 18. Those getting married, yoke with those already married. I've said before, when Ruth and I get married, we were stupid. We were dumb. We both admit it. We didn't know how to relate to one another. We didn't know a lot about marriage. Not blaming anyone, we just weren't too smart. We moved off to Chattanooga, Tennessee a week after we were married. And basically didn't know anyone there. Looking back, and you say, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. 
It would have been great if someone would have come alongside us or my mom and dad or Ruth Ann's mom and dad or my pastor or her pastor would have said, now, Dan and Ruth Ann, when you get down there, you get one month. I'm going to be in contact with you. Within one month, I'm going to call you. has to be a call. It can't be a text. You know, we didn't have texting back then. That was, we were back in the dark ages. But I'm going to ask you a question. What older couple have you found to mentor you and disciple you in your marriage? It would have done a lot of good for us. You know, I would have talked sooner and she would have kept quiet long sooner. Don't say that critical of either one of us. That's where we were. Someone, some guy would have said to me, Dan, unless you learn to talk to your wife, I don't hold out much hope for you. And unless someone said to Ruth Ann, unless you learn to say less, there's probably not much hope for you. No, just mentoring, guiding, moving us towards this intimacy, if you please. How about another thought? Couples married, working hard at their marriage. Ah, we didn't get a divorce. <laughs> That's much different than saying, oh my, we've had some difficulties along the way. But that has drawn us together. It's glued us together. <clears throat> On the lighter side, Ruth Ann never enjoyed cooking. But she decided to make me a shoe fly pie. She knew that I liked shoe fly pie. You know, shoe fly pie it has a lot of goo in the bottom with a little crumb on the top. Well, her mother had sent her a recipe, and Ruth Ann was following the recipe for one pie it called for four cups of flour. So she made this shoe fly pie, and I cut a piece of shoe fly pie, and I put it on my plate, and I, I very innocently said to Ruth Ann, where's the goo? Well, she said, there, I followed the recipe. It called for four cups of flour. Four cups of flour seems excessive for one pie. So I very graciously, God must have been in this. Well, she said, Dan, how do you like it? Oh, I said, it's not too bad. I said, could you get some applesauce? So she got the applesauce out, and I mixed applesauce with my shoe fly pie. I ate the whole pie, not at one setting, but I ate the whole pie. God was gracious. I could have really get angry and upset. And to this day, Ruth Ann would say, if you had criticized that pie, I probably would have never baked again. Because of some things in her own background. My point simply being that we have worked at that. I've had to work over and over again to never criticize anything Ruth Ann prepares for a meal. The reason I cannot do that is because if I did, to this day, she would say, Dan, if you criticize what I prepared, you'll probably do it yourself next time. <laughs> Because she thinks my mother is the best cook in the world. And I would be comparing 
her with my mother. We have worked at that. We can laugh about things like that now. So she can make me a shoe fly pie, and if it turns out good or bad, we can tell her, you remember the first shoe fly pie? And that has drawn us together. Churches standing strong on marriage. Just not saying, let's make sure we get everything right on divorce and remarriage, but let's stand firm on, here's what marriage is and what God designed. Parents, church leaders, teach teens, young adults to remain pure. And I'm not talking about merely telling them. I'm talking about practical tools. So you are alone with your girlfriend or boyfriend And the passion begins to rise. What do you do or what should you have done before? To merely say, don't get involved sexually before marriage doesn't go very far in the passion of the moment. Trust me. Talked to enough people over the years and I've lived with myself. It doesn't go very far. So maybe we need to rethink and consider some radical action. Maybe doing away with dating as we know it. Say, let's just do away with dating as we know it. Say, do away with it. Well, at least think about it. Why do I need to spend hours and hours alone with some gal trying to resist temptation? Why not rather be certain you have parents' approval of whom you date early on? So I go to mom and dad and say, hey, mom and dad, I met this girl at a box social. Her name's Ruth Ann Hackenberg. Well, we don't know her. What's she like? Oh, she's a nice girl. What do you know about her? I don't know much about her. I just know that I want her before any of the other ones that were there. We'll do some checking. And Ruth Ann's parents did ask Ruth Ann, what do you know about this guy, Dan? And I, she went home from the box social when I bought her box. First time we'd ever met. Box social is when a gal makes a box and the guy buys it. And Dave, her brother, stood up for me and said, I know him, he's a good guy. <laughs> I don't know how well he knew me. But perhaps spending the most of your time dating with your families in work or worship or play or talking or eating. So I'd say, Dad, can I go out with Ruth Ann? And he says, sure, Dan, but you're bringing her to our house tonight and we're going to have supper together and we're going to play some together. Then you take her home. And next week, I think it's, for your, it's your turn for you to be at her house with her family playing some games and sharing and interacting. So you say, Dad, can I have a special dispensation of grace? Can I get together with Ruth Ann on Saturday? He says, sure. You bring her over and the two of you can help your brothers wash eggs. 
say, but we want to be alone. Why? Why do we subject ourselves to tremendous temptation when we're part of a family, we're part of a body? And I did not marry Ruth Ann alone. I married her family. They need to know something about this guy. My family needed to know something about Ruth Ann. So that after we were married for about a year, I walk into the house and her family is there. And I'm sitting in the living room. I'm sitting with her grandfather. I'm sitting with her aunt. I'm sitting with her cousin. And the three of them are... All three of them are talking. And there's four of us in the room. And I'm sitting there. What do I do? Do I listen to her grandfather, her aunt, or her cousin? I don't know. See, I married into that family, and I'm not criticizing the family. Because Ruth Ann came to our house. And she said, Dan, your meals were so quiet that you could hear people chew their food. Which is better? That's not a fair question. We are who we are. Wouldn't it be much better maybe to rethink the whole dating, even to the point of limiting TV, movies, commercials, and internet? You say, why? Let's be honest. You're watching a movie with your guy or girl, the two of you, and there's a scene in the movie that even moves towards a man and a woman Relating to one another, and I'm not talking total sexual, <clears throat> sexual intimacy or anything, but even moving in that direction, if I were a betting man, I'd be willing to bet a billion dollars that you begin to think the same direction. Why subject yourself to that? We need to stop and think what God designed. What happens before we're married has a tremendous impact on what happens afterwards. I'm encouraging us to stop and to think in light of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. Parents, teach your children about marriage. Not the school. Have the first say with your kid. The school may say some things, but have the first say. And tell them repeatedly about some accountability among married couples. What would happen if uh, you came into church next Sunday morning and Daniel says to Chip, hey Chip, how are you making out with Vera? How's it going? How have you been treating her? How's your intimacy growing? How are you becoming more and more like Christ? <clears throat> so it's none of my business. <laughs> Maybe we should make that more of our business. I'm not saying with everyone, but someone that we might be accountable to. A guy called me this week, and he asked me, well, we didn't talk because I wasn't around time, but I will have to call him back. 
but he'll ask me some questions. How am I doing? I need that. Singles, accountable to older godly individuals for how they live and respond. And a final one, older godly men. And the church addressed the issue of pornography. In our day and age, we probably should include older godly women also. As the body of Christ, we need to admit pornography is a major issue in marriage. Before marriage and after marriage. I don't say that in a critical way. It's life. It's where we are. I don't have to be on the internet, but 30 seconds and have something pop up that could lead me down a road that I don't want to go. And many times you don't even try to find it. It's there. We can say, don't look at pornography. We need to go much, much further than that and help men and women deal with the heart. Let me say, Pastor, pornography is not a problem among believers. Do you want me to list how many times that has been a major issue in a marriage relationship. So we can talk about divorce, we can talk about marriage, we can talk about a host of issues, but unless we're pursuing what God designed in Genesis 1 and 2 and helping people pursue that in practical and meaningful ways, we miss the point. I welcome anyone to say, Pastor, what have you done with the internet in terms of pornography? You have that freedom to ask me. I asked some other guys that. Because that's part of the practicality. But not only that, but how do we deal with it? But again, I think that's a practical application and outworking of Mark 10, when Jesus says, pursue marriage. Let's not get so hung up in divorce that we miss marriage and in pursuing marriage that we help young people, we help older people to pursue what God has designed. Father, thank you for your word. And may we get the point of Mark chapter 10 that you desire marriage to be permanent and intimate. And we know that that many times is not a reality, and we know there's people sitting here this morning that that has not been a reality. And may we not get so caught up in what is in someone's past as much as how are we living and responding in the present. May we extend grace to those <clears throat> who have been through things in the past and help them to love you in the present so that we can be a body of believers that is more and more picturing Christ and the church and how we relate together, whether it be in marriage 
or how we relate as believers. May we not be afraid of the struggles that we face in our world with the whole issue of sexuality and dating and marriage and divorce, but strive to be grace givers. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.